This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by the lone and inaugural member of the Glory Kickboxing Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. Bazooka Joe Valtellini. There was a Glory card this past weekend, but I didn't get a chance to watch it just yet. I saw one of the yeah. results, but... Let's, let's keep this as a spoiler-free zone for glory. Spoiler-free. Okay. Uh, so I can't even say the results. Was there commentary? Jeez. Did you watch it? You watched it. I uh, there was. I did watch it. Um, for, it was only three fights because it was to make up for that glory pay-per-view where we had the Polish come in and ruin the event for us. But, Polish uh, hooligans. Let's not blame the, the hooligans. entire country yeah, not the Pol- Yeah, not Poland. The hooligans. <laughs> uh, so they kind of gave us three uh, fights to kind of make up for it. And... Uh, they were interesting ones, for sure. I mean, uh, I won't say what happened, but uh, the two main interesting ones was Plaza Butt versus Kababes, which was fun. That was a rematch. And then the main one, uh, we had a Canadian fight uh, challenge I, I for a world title. I saw the result title. of that one. The, the yeah, I figured that was, was the one. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, Josh Johnson versus Tajani Bastadi. Oh, sorry, Bastadi, not uh, Gaji. Bastadi, yeah. yeah. So a good fight. It was uh, interesting. It was uh, not the result... Uh, I kind of was thinking. I thought it would have been a little different. I can't spoil it, but you just spoiled it, basically, right? Well, it was a decision, right? Like, is, is that right? It didn't go to a decision. Oh, it no. didn't. Okay. Well, then I don't know what happened. Did not gonna, go to I'm a gonna decision. I'm going to go watch it today at some point. There you or, go. Or maybe it did tomorrow. not go to a decision. Okay. That's why. That's the interesting part of it. If I had to put my money down, I would. They fought before, and it was one of the most technical matches I've seen in years. So then uh, I thought it was going to be another decision, but it did not happen that way. So right. that's what made it well, exciting. There you go. Now, now I'm intrigued to see what happened. But uh, yeah. Either way, we'll. Uh, We'll talk about the uh, the UFC card this past weekend, the uh, kind of somewhat controversial Michael Venom Page versus Logan Storley fight. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it controversial. I mean, it is what it is. But, I mean, the scoring criteria really took center stage with that one. But why don't we start off with the UFC. Jan Blachowicz defeats Alexander Rakic, TKO due to knee injury. Now, here's yeah. my question for you. Rakic has torn his ACL on the other leg twice. This is the first time he tore it on uh, this particular leg he said that it was nagging him going into the fight. Yeah. How much of Jan Blachowicz's work do you believe was the cause of that injury? I mean, if the low kicks, if I remember, were most on the lead leg, right? Though, right? And so it was his was back leg that, that kind of that hurt. So, I mean, a lot of times, though, if your lead legs hurt, you favor the other leg. So maybe by putting weight on it differently. But I, it had to have been damaged before. The way he stepped back and that slow motion clip just, I don't know, looks, I don't know if the slow motion laid him look more gross than it actually was but that did not look good the way he stepped down that ligament must one of those ligaments must have been damaged before for that to happen but uh yeah i mean i would think if the damage was going to happen the lead leg usually eating the low kicks back and forth but uh yeah i mean it must have been sprained before where the ligament was a little bit loose or sprained and then uh boom unfortunate it's a tough break for rockets because he was right there but that being said i mean had he won he probably would have had to have surgery anyways right so who knows what would have happened from there. But uh, kudos to Jan Blachowicz. Looked great in the first round. All three judges gave him the first round. And a pretty close first round. But I, I was going to say that. Very close. Round. Yeah, I thought it was close. Watching it, I was like, oh, I thought Rakic did enough. But I think because uh, um, I think I was favoring Rakic in the fight. So I was kind of leaning towards him. But Blachowicz, man, he's, he's good. Tough. I, can't, I just can't get over. Uh, I mean, losing the second round too, right? I mean, Rakic won that second with his wrestling. Yeah, the second round was a clear Rakic round. But you know what? I think Blahovic did enough to remind people how good he is, even though that fight was very close. Uh, I mean, Rakic is a really good fighter. He's in his prime. Great great grappling. His striking is very technical. Uh, that was a very close fight, a chess match, up until, of course, the uh, the pretty unfortunate ending. 
Yeah. What do you think uh, Blahovich next? Is it another shot with Glover? Because it seems like Glover wants it next. Well, I think there are a couple of dominoes that need to fall before we really determine that. You, you got Ankalaev against Smith coming up on July 30th, UFC 277 in Dallas, I believe it is. And, well, supposedly in Dallas. They haven't officially announced Dallas yet, but it's, all signs are pointing to Dallas. Um, and that's what we're looking at for the next big light heavyweight fight after the title fight, which is, of course, in a couple of weeks, you got Glover Teixeira taking on uh, Yuri Prokhashka. So I think that the result of that fight is really going to spell out. I think that if Prokhashka wins, it makes more sense for Blahovich versus Prokhashka because it's kind of a Baltic uh, rivalry. You, you got uh, Czech okay. Republic against Poland. So it's, you know, kind of an interesting matchup. And I think that would be a kind of a pay-per-view that you would try to do in Europe, although there are likely not going to be any pay-per-view scheduled for Europe for the rest of the year. But it, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. And uh, if Glover wins, I don't know if you can give Blahovich an immediate rematch off of an injury stoppage. I think that you mm-hmm. kind of have to wait and see what happens with Uncle Iev and Smith if one of those guys comes out with a pretty dominant win. And then, of course... Do you want to give Glover and like Smith a rematch against Glover if Smith is able to beat Ankalaev, given how lopsided of a beating that fight was between Glover and Smith, right? So there's a, just a lot of a lot of balls in the air right now. It's hard for me to really make a, a determination. You know, everybody always wants to, oh, what's next? What's next? Who knows yeah. if Blahovich has an injury? His neck was hurting him going into this one. You know, he, he's complained about a lot of different injuries coming into this particular fight. So it's it's really hard to make these determinations with so many different things that are unknown at this time. Yeah, even with uh, Anthony Smith winning, you think he's more deserving than Blahovich again? Blahovich? Well, that's the, that's the question. It depends on if Glover wins, right? Like, because if Smith is able to beat Ankalaev and beats him, like, makes has a really good win and gets a stoppage or something, they're probably going to go with Smith, I would imagine, uh, under those circumstances. I mean, Ankalaev has been pretty, aside from the loss to Paul Craig, pretty untouchable so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's a, a, a time now where we're seeing the light heavyweight division kind of gain some momentum and steam. I don't think we had this much attention on who could fight who and kind of managing pieces. So I just think now that just shows the division's getting stronger with, and honestly, like older guys sitting there at the top too, right? Yeah. I mean, with Jan and, and Glover there, we didn't think the division would be as exciting as it's starting to grow into be. I mean, to an extent, because there still aren't that many players right now, right? Like, we're still not seeing... So many people get to the top, but it's, it's a lot of new people that haven't touched the belt just yet or haven't had a chance to fight for the belt just yet. I mean, Rockich would have been one of them uh, had he ended up finishing this fight and getting a, getting a win, either by decision or inside the distance. But, um, you know, I, I still think there are some players that are coming up. Like Paul Craig is facing Volkan Uzdemir. I think if Paul Craig That's wins fun. that fight, he's yeah. on a streak, getting lots of finishes, he becomes a player in this division. Yeah, even the co-main event, Ryan Spann looked pretty damn good too, right? I think people forgot how good Ryan Spann was going into this fight. Yeah, like underdog. Two to one underdog. Yeah, big time. I mean, my I was surprised. Hit. I took him was by it? sub, plus eight fifty. Yeah, I picked him too, straight up to win. I uh, I just had a feeling. He reminds uh, he reminds me of uh, the name. Like he doesn't get uh, not Jalen Turner, the tarantula. Kind of looks like a bigger Jalen Turner. But I'm thinking of uh, what division. Ah, man. Okay, I'm just going to pass on that. <laughs> All right. He reminds me of the very underrated. Um, Maybe it is Jalen Jamal Turner. Jahal Hill. Oh, Jamal, Jamal Hill. Hill, yeah. yeah J- I well, think speaking he, of players at 205, Jamal Hill's a name we need to bring up as yeah, well. I think he's very underrated. I don't think he gets the credit every time he fights. He's rangy, good with his striking. He, I think he's well-rounded. I think he's a name that we're going to have to start watching out for, too. Oh, you're right, because I forgot. I forgot to mention him in, as being in the light heavyweight mix, and he is firmly in the light heavyweight mix. So yeah, there you there go. You go. Yeah. But you look at uh, Ryan Spann. I mean, you know, people were writing this guy off. 
he was one and two in his last three going into this one. He had the win over Misha, but losses to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. But losses to Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith, like those are pretty yeah. top tier guys. Before that, yeah. he was on how many fights in a row? And he won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight win streak up until that point in time. Now, no really big names uh, up until, I mean, Emiliano Sordi has come around in PFL and done well, and that's who we beat at, at the Contender Series. But, uh, you know, Luis Enrique, I don't think he's in the UFC anymore. Uh, Rogerio Nogueira's retired. Devin Clark, good fighter, but I think he's one of the, you know, not really a ranked fighter or in that mix. Sam Alvey, of course, that was a split decision win, and that's kind of when I think people started to sour on Span. But the way I looked at it going into it is like Kute Laba had, in his last two fights, had had 17 takedowns going into that one. I was thinking, if you're going to try to take Span down, you're just going to give this guy opportunity after opportunity. Like Kute Laba's best path was to just keep it on the feet for as long as possible. But in a three round fight, maybe he gets tired. You know, he's shown that he gets tired a little bit in, in those kind of fights. Yeah, but the way Span just grabbed his neck like that, boom. That's what he does. Just quick, fast, you know, nicely submitted, locked in quick. I mean, just just a nice finish. So, oh. I mean, uh, dangerous all around. He's got 20 wins. 12 of those are submissions. And almost all of those submissions are guillotine or rear naked chokes. Like, that's that's this guy's specialty, are those two particular attacks. So, uh, so yeah. add another one to the list. So, mostly guillotine, you said, and, and, and what? Rear naked chokes. And rear naked so, chokes. So, I mean, the guys, the guys grab your neck. snatching necks. And yeah. cash and checks. I honestly think there should be way more like if you can like practice those anacondas, the darces, the guillotines. Like when guys are shooting in, the neck's there so often. It's even even becomes a takedown defense right away when you grab. Like I know a lot of guys who are very quick on grabbing your neck, and it is the most terrifying thing in the world because it's, you're scared to shoot. Like I mean, it's just I think it's uh, a system that guys need to start uh, catching up on a little bit well, more. It's interesting. A lot of people are going for the standing guillotine now, now because. A lot of the time, people have gotten wise to getting out of guillotine chokes. So unless you have it really locked up, you're not seeing people go to their back. You're not seeing people yeah. kind of pull guard while they have the choke. So a lot of people are using the standing guillotine just to stuff takedowns, like you mentioned. That's a defensive mechanism, and it's been working really well. Yeah, because if you kind of drop to the ground, you, then you're in terrible position if they get out of the choke. Exactly. Right? That's so, why people are hesitant. Yeah. But, I mean, right away, say I shoot on a single and I grab your neck. You have to defend the choke by two hands on the on the arm, right, to pull off. So right away, you you already gave up on the takedown. So as a, as a striker, it is a good strategy to learn really good kind of front headlock submissions. Absolutely. Well, uh, Brian Span, one of the best in the light heavyweight mm-hmm. division in terms of that particular technique, uh, might be the best if you're looking at just that technique for sure. Uh, Davy Grant defeats Luis Smolka. Grant looked great in the first round, seemed to get tired in the second round, and Smolka started to turn up the heat, and then. Third round, Grant, you know, Grant did what I think a lot of people thought he was going to do, get a KO. I just didn't think – I think a lot of people didn't think this would be a, a close fight. Yeah, Grant looked good. I, I'm surprised now because I'm looking on the UFC website. That didn't get performance of the night or fight of, fight of the night. night. should have gotten fight of the night. I Come mean, on. How was that not fight of the night? It should have been fight of the night. I mean, I, was, I'm not going to argue with you here. It should have been yeah, fight of the night. I'm shocked. I was like – I was like guaranteed. I was talking about it with some of my teammates yesterday, and everyone's like, did you watch that fight? I said, yeah, I got to see it. And, and everybody was like, fight of the night for sure. And So we were talking about it. So, I mean, I was su- totally surprised it's not. I think a lot of people were shocked that Chukagian got into a firefight because she's so typically – slows down the tempo of fights, gets her opponent into her fight. So kudos to Amanda Hibas for really trying to get Chukagian out of her comfort zone, which she was able to do. The yeah. problem was that this is one of the reasons why people don't go after Chukagian like this. She was getting nailed at the end of Chukagian's jabs. 
Like, she yeah. was taking big damage. And I think a lot of people were surprised by this decision. I wasn't. I mean, I thought those first two rounds were very clear for Jukagi. And, and you could even make a case to give her the third round, in my opinion. But Hibas was just... I think a lot of people were just surprised because Hibas was actually bringing the fight to Jukagi, which so few people are able to do because Jukagi is so good at keeping range and uh, keeping people at the end of her jab. And Hibas was, was willing to, to basically enter the fire. You've talked about this. What, what do you call those zones? Uh, we say mid-range would be one. I would say entering mid-range. Well, entering the danger zone. That's what it danger is. Danger zone, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. people are afraid to enter Chukagian's danger zone because yeah. she's so good at, at connecting. And I think Hibas kind of showed why people are afraid to do that. Although Hibas, again, very spirited fight and that uh, deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to fight Chukagian, you're going to have to eat shots to get inside. I mean, ideally, the game plan would be, all right, move your head, use your feints to try to get around, but... Caitlin's aggressive. She she throws a lot of volume. She controls her range. I mean, she's uh, probably you know next to Shevchenko the best and what probably one of the best strikers in the women's division just based on her length and the way she moves. You know, stuff. Well, let's uh, touch on a couple more notes. Uh, Andre Petrovsky first round anaconda choke against Nick Maximov. He was the biggest underdog on the card and. Uh... He made quick work of Maximov. I was surprised. I actually had Petrosky as one of my picks this past week just because Maximov, if you ever see a fighter like Maximov as whatever, a three or four to one favorite, you should almost always go to the underdog because the way that this guy wins fights is just strictly with grappling. Grapple, 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 not landing damage, grapple, grapple. And if you've got seasoned judges like the ones in Las Vegas calling these fights or like judging these fights, if, if the person that they're against is landing damage, they're always in jeopardy of losing a fight, even if they're if they're controlling the fight on the ground. Yeah, I thought he was uh, Petrovsky was undefeated, but I, th- I just read that he's eight and two. I, I heard someone say uh, that he was undefeated. Well, he lost to Aaron Jeffrey uh, in CFFC, and I think he's lost once in the UFC. Is has he lost in the UFC? So no, he's he's eight and one. Yeah, he lost to just Aaron Jeffrey. Yeah. So I mean, uh, uh... it's his only loss. Um, but he's, he looks good, man. He's a really good yeah. fighter. He's in that camp in Philadelphia that's been just destroying guys. Like Which Pat camp Zabke is that? And um, what's that dude's name? Not and, uh, Brady, Sean, is Sean, it? Sean Brady, yeah. Sean Brady, okay. Pat Sabatini. That camp in Philadelphia are just doing a lot of great things. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about them, so. Yeah, well, the results speak for themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's why <laughs> we're want, hearing about you them. You want to talk about Coach of the Year. I mean, like you got to talk about Daniel Gracie and that team. Um, very under, I mean, just very under the radar not a lot of people talking about them uh, although they don't have a whole lot of uh they don't have a very deep roster of, of people that they corner but neither does trevor whitman who won coach of the year last year of course we're talking about the championship level there uh tatsuro tyra looked very good in his flyweight debut uh a young prospect out of japan looks like he's got a nice future um michael johnson gets a ko nice to see yeah him back, uh, back on too. the horse Almost classic Michael Johnson, too, yeah. right? Yeah, had to get out of trouble. Had to get out of trouble, yeah. It's, it's always one or the other. It's like if either he gets in trouble early on and then comes back and knocks his opponent out, or he completely obliterates his opponent early and then they come back and he's gassed out and they beat him. It's like those, those are the two Michael Johnson-style fights. Yeah. And I'm assuming uh, uh, Alan Patrick is Brazilian? He trains uh, with Charles Dobronx Oliveira in that camp, yes. He's, okay, uh, I was going to say, is there something with Brazilians in the blonde hair? Yeah, is well, this no, something? It's that camp, and Alan Massimento had the same thing. He was on this card too, and uh, they they dye their hair blonde for fight night. All right, that's a new thing it's they're just starting. Shoot the box, Diego Lima trademark. But is it? It's not. A, it's just a new thing they've created. Yeah, they've never it's done a new this thing before. It's it's with Oliveira. Oliveira has been dyeing his hair blonde for a lot of his recent fights, um, right. and that's the way it's it's been. It's become all right. That's their trademark. 
Not bad. Hey, it's good. You know, we're U talking the, about it. The UFC needs to allow people to have more personality, and you have to do whatever you can within the rules to, to try to let that shine. So yeah. okay. blonde, I got to ask you a question after this. I like that because it leads me into this question for you. Is it true UFC's banning people from using flags? You yes, can't come yes, up with your flags. No flags. Why is that? Well, Dana White said, "Oh, the media. You should know how. You should know why." Well, let me explain my guess because it's not confirmed. But with uh, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, I don't think that they want Figured, yeah. Russian flags on ESPN. Yeah, but come on, it's what are they, if they're? I don't know. I don't agree with it. Let they need to have some personality, something for themselves. I mean, they represent a country, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I get mean, it. You, but... would, you wouldn't want to have certain messages on ESPN, right? Where where people. Uh, say things that they shouldn't be saying, correct? Yeah, true. I mean, let, let's segue that to uh, Viviane Araujo. There we go. Andrea Lee. Another good entrance, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this fight was pretty much one-way traffic for Araujo in the second and third round. Lee won, in my opinion, won the first round. But in between the first and second round, Lee complained, I guess, of a finger in the eye. I didn't see it during the fight. And uh, her corner, Tony Kelly, who's a UFC bantamweight, and uh, her boyfriend, I believe, I don't know, her partner, I don't know if they're engaged or anything like that, but uh, basically said that uh, Viviani Araujo was a dirty, blank Brazilian, and mm. they cheat. That's what they do. Something along those lines. Uh, and, you know, I, I was quick to point out that this is not really acceptable in professional sports. Uh, and for whatever reason, it seems a lot of people are okay with it. Because it's yeah. in a fight. You know, you're watching violence, so there should be xenophobia as well. It should be built into the sport. Wrong. Because the way that this sport grows is when people are, are acting like professionals. And if you're in the corner, you, first off, if you get your seconds license, and you've had your seconds license before, Joe, I'm yeah. sure that there's something in the code of conduct for corner people that w would explicitly say you can't say stuff like this. Yeah, I would assume so too. I don't think anybody reads it, but yeah, you just sign things. But I, w I would assume. My issue, I think, why people are okay with it it's not the I don't think it's the violence is the okay to just because it's violent sport but I think it's more of when you're in the heat of the moment things are said things uh, um, I think it's harder okay it's easier to phrase this it's easier to fight yourself and to watch someone you care about fighting when you're watching someone you care about fight there's extra emotions you're nervous you're invested in it you end up like even me there's sometimes i'm smacking the ring i was like i would never do these things and screaming and yelling and, and and getting aggressive and i'm talking trash to the other coach you know i had a fun incident the other day where uh when I was cornering my amateur team, one of the coaches was like, her jab's better than yours. And I was like, oh, is it really? Her jab's not better than yours. Throw this. Like, so I, like, I took it personally that he was saying her jab was better. So it's like sometimes you, like, I, I would never confront someone like that personally. I mean, it's fun. And, but I mean the emotion gets it. But I don't think it is still okay to go that far. But I also don't think it's okay to get mad at someone to be heated in a moment like that. Also, you know, like I get the heated moment, but I also don't think if you don't like that, don't mic up the corner. You know what I mean? I don't personally Joe, it's like a to be of character, mic. though. I mean, listen, you would never say that. I know you're I know you get emotional in the corner and all coaches get emotional. But to say that about somebody because they're Brazilian or calling them, yeah. you know, calling them a name like that. You would never say that about an opposing fighter. I, I just yeah. know no, that. No, I know personally the, I wouldn't. No. Yeah, but. I know, but based on your character and based on the character of emotion, how often do you see stuff like that in the corner? 
We've seen it. I, the last time I can recall was when Alex Nicholson was cornering Mike Perry like seven years ago was the last time I can recall someone in the corner saying something that was, you know, xenophobic in nature. Yeah. yeah. I know they're in the heat of the moment. I get that. But first off, he's not giving any sort of good corner advice in between rounds anyways. She ended up going downhill after that. But yeah. to say that on national television, you're mic'd up. And to say that in general, it's not a good look in my opinion. And I've spoken to people that ha- have connections with that camp that, that have had, I guess, coaches that have been with that camp before and said that the environment around that camp is pretty toxic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to judge too much. I don't agree with it. I don't think it should be in, in the sport, but I also know how you can get heated, but it's not, it's not appropriate. That's for sure. Especially if you, you know, you're the mic'd one. Like, I was like, eh, that's even more. Yeah. It's like, you can't be like some coaches, if you notice, and I want to say, at Asanya's camp, Eugene Behrman doesn't get mic'd up. Eugene doesn't necessarily get – he puts the other coach mic'd up, which is kind of smart because as a coach talking to your corner and you're mic'd up, you might be giving code language. You might be talking things about game plan and strategy that you don't want to get out. The next thing you know, the UFC is in your corner, and now the whole world hears the way you kind of talk to your fighter sometimes. I mean, so I don't necessarily agree with that all the time too. I mean, so that's why it's tough. I don't know. It's a tough uh, scenario to be in. Yeah, I, I was just surprised at how many people thought it was acceptable behavior. It's just like, to to use a phrase like that, I mean, that's about as bad as it gets in a corner. Yeah, but like, I mean, if you go to this, like, and you're hyping your fighter, like, you know, what, you know, go over there and get punch that MFR in the face, you yeah. know? What's worse, calling someone an MFR or a dirty, you know, Brazilian? Like, well, listen, I don't know, like, you if, can if, swear if, at someone, like, said, to hype up your team. If he said, she, she's a dirty, you know, she's fighting dirty, don't worry about it. Totally yeah. acceptable, but to call her a dirty effing Brazilian, I mean, yeah. you're, you're you're specifically pointing out their cultural background or where they're from. Yeah, no, no I get it. No, right. I get it. It's not right. I'm not yeah. right, but I'm just saying the heat of the moment. I don't know. I think takes away some of the harm, even though it's still very harmful. That's my point, but it's not acceptable. Yeah. Well, again, listen. There are better ways of of. It, he came out afterwards and said, "Oh, it has nothing to do with racism or her or her whatever." If that's the case, then why are you pointing it out? Like, why are you saying Brazilian? Why do you have to? Yeah. Obviously, that's part of who he is. So yeah. I think that you need to. He should take a long look in the mirror and also should apologize. Like, what are you? You're not going to apologize. Yeah, you're going to say gonna sorry. Say people are trying to cancel Heat of the you. moment. Yeah. Nobody's trying to cancel Tony Kelly. Yeah. Just yeah. Say Nobody, sorry. It's okay. If, the percentage of people don't know who Tony Kelly is. Yeah. Yeah. He's a good fighter. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying the gen, like the the casual fan has no idea who Tony Kelly is. Yeah. Well, I, I personally would rather be called the dirty Canadian than a MFR. So, yeah. I mean, I've heard people say, you know, look at it. Like, didn't poor, like, I mean, he's a friend of mine. He's nice. What did Ray Longo call Jan when he was sitting down? Look at that. He's sitting down. He's the MFR's tired or something like that. Like, I don't know. In between rounds, he was kind of being like, look, he's tired. And he was trying to hype up his corner by maybe calling someone an MFR or yeah, look at this. Swearing is okay. Like, it's just swearing. Yeah, MFR is not really swearing. That's a direct insult. Yeah. You know? That's fine. And I've but heard again, that I... many times on an on a UFC broadcaster. Like I said, I'd much rather be a dirty Canadian than an MFR that's allowed to be more, you know? I don't know. I guess I understand. Not that, acceptable. I, I don't think I, that... Neither are acceptable. But neither are acceptable in, in either yeah. in either scenario. But again, I think that when you're specifically pointing out someone's nationality, that's yeah. where you're really starting to cross a line. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, and again, we've seen it too many times now. This mf and this Brazilian mf Yeah. 
Yeah. True. Yeah. Like you don't. Why are you pointing it out for? Yeah. Why do you need to? Yeah. No, I so, agree. Either way, I just I was just shocked at how many people were like, "Oh, you're soft. You watch you watch a sport with violence, but and you can't you can, those words are hurtful to you." It's like, listen, Viviane Aruno, Arujo didn't sign up to be called that. She's signed yes. up to compete in a sport. Yeah. She's worked her whole life to be great at a sport. So to have somebody specifically single out her nationality during, uh, she, like she she doesn't need to be embarrassed like that on national television. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Especially at the level the UFC is, there needs to be a little bit more professionalism and responsibility. And like I said, I think if the apology was there, I think it'd be better. Like, apologize. You know, it's okay apologize. to say, hey, listen, I don't, I don't, I didn't mean to say that. It was the heat of but the moment. You I apologize. apologize. You, don't, you feel like you didn't do anything wrong, and he did something wrong. So just own it. Yeah. yeah. Own it, and then it yeah. goes away. But now he's going to be that guy who, in the corner, said that and then accused everybody of trying to cancel him. Like, is that yeah, is that yeah. what you want your rep to be? Yeah. And no. listen, uh, my thing more classy, here yeah. is that when I tell people that I cover mixed martial arts, people look at me sideways. Like, you cover that? You got like yeah. <laughs> you cover that sport? That's yeah. It's barbaric and blah blah. Shine a positive light on the sport. Anything that people when people do stuff like this, it just moves the sport backwards. It's not moving the not progressing the sport. I think the sport is. An, a thinking man's game. I think this is an, a sport for really intelligent people that, like, that have high IQ in a specific sport. Like, you need to be really smart to be able to get in there to get to it, just to get to the UFC. You have to yeah. have a, a, a high level of, of intelligence in, in that particular sport in order yeah. to do that. Like, this is, is human chess. You know, people will call it barbaric or gladiators. This is like, there's a ton of strategy that goes into the sport that people can't see because they can't look past stuff like this really that, that, that there's there's things associated with the sport that will draw people away from it and not mm -hmm. respect it and not understand what's going on and not have an appreciation for it that's what my big issue is i never said they should cut this guy i never said they should release him i never said they should find him or anything like that i just don't think it's acceptable in sport in, in a sport like this where we're trying to grow the sport everybody wants the score the sport to get bigger and for the athletes to be respected and for the sport to be respected that's why I think it's unacceptable. Yeah. I mean, I think I've been fighting this stigma still to this day, every 100%. day of my life. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I did everything to break apart from the fighter stereotype. I didn't want to have the Chuck Liddell mohawk. I didn't want to have tattoos. I didn't want it. I always wanted to be the educated fighters. I've been fighting the stigma since day one, and I still get it. You, you know how many of my friends who have kids, and I hear like, oh, I'll never let my kids watch fighting on TV. It's like, oh, really? So my passion, my love, my everything, you're never going to let your kid watch something that I'm – it's like – so it's still there. Oh, I'll never let my kids do martial arts because then they're just going to want to fight. Oh, if you teach kids to fight, they're just going to fight on the streets. That's the whole thing I get. They, they don't understand the discipline, the respect, the structure, the routine, the mindset behind it. You know, like when things get hard in work in school, you know, a martial artist is going to find a way to endure, you know, we just get we just know how to get up and keep going. There's so many more valuable things behind it. And it's sad that the community goes this way and sometimes we put ourselves back. But we've seen Kobe Covington do it and get almost rewarded with it by being more popular. We've seen, you know, Masvidal now's going sucker punching Kobe on the street. We've seen Conor McGregor throw buses. We have John Jones getting into accidents. Yeah, I mean he's not yeah. superhuman, Joe. No, I know, but, but it's like it's getting crazy. So you mean like where's the line? When does it stop? I think the line's been crossed too many times already now, and it's uh, they get valued and they're getting rewarded a lot of times for this craziness.
Well, I've got some news that I think you'll like. Uh, I don't know if you know the Wimp. I'm sure you know the Wimp to Warrior program. I think it's got a different name now. I heard about it. I think all, from you, you told me. Yeah. Of all of the places in the world where they've implemented this program, the place where they've gotten the most interest and the most um, signups is right here in Scarborough, Ontario. That's hey, what Rich that's, Chow told me. That's so awesome. I think that that is something that you should – you represent this city, Joe, and you've represented the city. Like you said, you tried to do it in a way that is um, not, not falling into the, the typical fighter stereotype. And you say that people are afraid to sign their kids up or don't want to sign their kids up for, for this kind of thing. Scarborough, Ontario, number one right now in terms of Beautiful. Sinus. Yeah, heck yeah. And I think we need it the most. I, don't, I think people like – I was born in Scarborough General Hospital. I went to school, elementary school in Scarborough, high school in Scarborough. I taught in Scarborough. My gym's in Scarborough. I represent you know, uh, Scarborough to the fullest. And I think I've had students of mine when I was a high school teacher get stabbed at those who are from Scarborough at Kennedy Station and, and died. You know, there, There's too many things that happen – with at-risk community here in Scarborough. So I think it's a, a beautiful thing that there's still, you know, interest for it. And, I mean, we got to think the biggest market in UFC was Toronto at one point. You know, like we have a nice market, and it's sad that uh, we haven't continued to keep that up. Yeah, hey, I got an, uh, a suggestion for you. Next time you're on an Air Canada flight, mm-hmm. there's a movie called Scarborough, which I think you should I watched watch. it. Oh, you watched it? I did it. watch it. What I watched it on the plane. Uh, I watched it on the plane last time I was on Air Canada, <laughs> yeah, literally like a couple weeks ago. Good. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. It's cool to see some of the plazas that I grew up with and seen in the background, and it was a, a nice story. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. Yeah. It was a pretty interesting heavy story. That's heavy, yeah, yeah, very heavy at times, but yeah, it was a well made. All right, well, let's move on to uh, this weekend's UFC Fight Night card, headlined by Holly Holm against Ketlin Vieira. The number on Holly Holm just keeps going up. She's minus two fifty. Ketlin Vieira plus two hundred. At this price, I would have to take Ketlin Vieira. Yeah, you think so? Okay. Watch I mean, her last w- fight. This is what I'm going to tell people about Ketlin Vieira. I don't know if people forgot about her last fight. She had a five-round fight uh, against Misha Tate. And, man, she was picking her apart a distance. She was able to go for the full five rounds. I think that if this fight is a stand-up fight, I think Vieira is going to land the bigger, heavier shots. I think it's going to take part. I think it's going to be take place on the feet. I think it's basically going to be a kickboxing match for five rounds, personally. And yeah, I think I mean, Ketlin Vieira yeah. can, can do well, given her heavy hands in this fight. Yeah, I mean, I think if you can get in on Holly, and I mean, Holly's pretty good at the range in, of her game, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's up there. Now, is there two Vieira, Vieira women? Um, there's Vienna, Pollyanna Vienna. Pollyanna, okay, I'm confusing her with somebody. And there's Honald, there's uh, Honaldo Vieira, what's the name of the, 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 that's a male, but I mean. No, there was a, it's a, it's a female fought for a big fight recently. Maybe it's not Vieira. I'm bad. I'm terrible yeah, with my you're, names you're, today. You're forgetting I'm off today. today. I'm, t- I'm, I'm doing my today. best to help you. I know you are. And you usually, boom. She kind of <laughs> looks the same. And I don't want to call a woman shortier and stockier. It is not a compliment. Well, Vieira's not that but... stocky, though. Vieira. How tall is Vieira? No, the person I'm thinking about okay. is a Vieira, I'm pretty sure. Shorter, stockier, more of a pressure fighter, doesn't move much. Oh, I don't know. I have All no right. idea. Oh, good. Pass. Pass again. <laughs> yeah. It'll come to me eventually. Well, here's the thing about Holly Holm. Holly Holm is 40 now. She hasn't fought in nearly two years. When was her last fight? It was uh, October 4th, 2020. So nearly two years away from the game. I mean, I'm just eager. To, like, I'm interested to see because I think that as she's getting older, Ketlin Vieira is 30, turning 31 soon, entering her prime, has looked really good. You know, um, so I, I'm, I'm eager to see how this fight goes. I think, I think that uh, this is going to be a, a really 
interesting fight for the, the women's bantamweight division because the winner of this fight could be next in line after the, the Nunes-Pena fight. Yeah, I mean, Holly Holm's been doing it for some time now, and it almost is probably something for her to see if she can keep in this division and in these big fights, but it seems like she can, and she's doing all right with it. Absolutely, yeah. This is, this is going to be an interesting fight. I think um, I'm very just very curious to see how it plays out because I think that Vieira is, is, based on her last fight, has never looked better and is entering her prime. So I think if Holly Holm gets a win here, it's going to speak volumes about how good Holly Holm still is at this age. Yeah. Okay. I figured out the name that reminded right. me. Jennifer Maya. Jennifer Maya. Okay. Different division. That's yeah. who I confused with mm-hmm. uh, the two. Yeah. 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 But, Very uh, different types of styles of fighters too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I totally got confused between the two. Well, no worries. Let's let's continue. You got um, this is this is the the Joe Valtellini special for this weekend. You got Michelle Pereira minus one twenty eight against Santiago Ponzinibbio plus one hundred four. Yeah. Money coming in on Pereira. Oh, this might be a dog or pass for me. Got, I, yeah. I mean, seeing pa- yeah. Ponzinibbio a dog money in this kind of a fight. Intriguing. Yeah. I mean, I just think uh, Pereira is one of those guys where it's like he always has a chance to win. I don't care who you put him with. He always has that chance to win. I mean, it's just because of his unorthodox. Even if you're a great wrestler and the strategies to take him down, it's very hard to get close to him. You're going to eat this weird kick, this knee, this weird strike, the stance switch. You don't know if a spin kick's coming, a low kick, a front kick. I just, to me, he doesn't use his boxing enough, and that's one of his big downside. He doesn't set up the kicks with good punches, but uh, I still think, uh, yeah, that would be either dog or pass, I believe. I, I'm, I agree with you because it's too. But again, I, since Ponzinibbio had that time off, we've only seen him fight, what, once or twice, and he hasn't really been too impressive either, right? Well, he won that fight against um, Baeza. Um that, that uh, he lost the first round, got got badly hurt in the first round, but was able to bounce back. Uh, but in the last fight, he lost a split decision against Jeff Neal, a close fight. So he's basically, since coming back from uh, that injury layoff, he's one and two. He lost to, got knocked out by Li Jing Lang as well. So one and two. But I, th- I think he's still shown that he has, there's still a lot of fight left in that guy. Yeah, no, I can see it. I mean, that's why I think uh, it's probably one of the best fights on the card, to be honest. His story it's is stuff. crazy, Ponzinibbio. He, he went, he's from Argentina. He flew to Brazil, had like basically no money. People pay, paid money for him to get on a flight to Brazil and walked around the beach looking for someone wearing a shirt that said jiu-jitsu on it so that he could find like a person to train him. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. how he got into martial arts. Hey, so like it's a good start. Beach, like, yeah. However, you know, get in by any means necessary. But wow, I mean, that's a crazy story. Just random finding shirts that had, you know, some jiu-jitsu yeah, logo. That, that's, that, it. That's, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. But he had some background before going to Brazil. Like a little no? bit. But like he wanted to go to Brazil and train with the best people and like get to the UFC like that was his dream and he just had no like that that was his game plan basically that's like <laughs> that was his roadmap for the UFC was yeah. finding Jeez. people on the beach that he could train with. That's awesome. Yeah. That's a good story. I like it. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. I I feel like he's got a career as a movie villain as soon as his UFC career ends. The guy just looks like he could be a great movie villain or TV villain. Hey, mean mugs all the time yeah. too. Yeah, he's always mean mugging. But such a friendly guy, like and such a nice guy, but like. Has that has like a great trademark bad guy look? Yeah, I think the the fight uh, before that is the one my second most anticipated Ooh, D- fight. Dusko Todorovic versus and Chidi Bang and Jaquani. Yep. You're that you're a big Chidi and Jaquani guy. Yeah, I mean just the size of that guy, man, and how big and tall and how good his striking is. He's gonna be a problem. So uh, this is uh, another one I'm excited because I've I've seen Chidi fight for so many years now, 
And he's got so much experience. He's almost like, to me, like a Pereira where he should be able to move up quick. I think he's got uh, the fight experience with his kickboxing. I'm pretty sure he's put his time now with MMA to have enough experience. that He's ready to go and be pushed fast. So I think uh, Todorovic is a good fight for him. Yeah, this, you know, this card isn't the best card on paper. It doesn't have a lot of really good fights um, outside of, I think, those top three fights. You got Chase Hooper fighting again. I'm always excited to watch Chase Hooper. Elise Reed coming off a win against Sam Hughes. That's a, that's an interesting one um, okay. to open up the night. Jailton Almeida. This is the one I'm interested to see. He's a minus 700 favorite against Parker Porter, who's plus 470. Almeida moving up to heavyweight. Dude, if Almeida can, can look good in this division, he should stay at heavyweight because his jiu-jitsu is just going to destroy everybody. Like, is this the this one guy, that's the Khabib guy? He always says he wants to be like Khabib. He's like he's like the guy. He wants to like beat the Dagestani guys. Yeah, he's yeah, he wants like, to be like Khabib. he's the Brazilian Khabib or whatever yeah. he says, right? Yeah. But God, that's that good. guy's good. I mean, if, if if let me let me look up his record. I don't think he's lost before. Uh, definitely not in a while. But if this guy can if this guy can stay at heavyweight, like I've been waiting for guys like this that are just like that are well rounded that have really good grappling that have good striking like this guy i think should just totally just stay at heavyweight he's a huge guy what six three which is like a standard heavyweight fight uh size but he beat danilo marquez in the last fight grounded pound round one uh got a rear naked choke against uh, nasruddin nasruddinov back at the contender series and his last loss was in 2018 so he hasn't lost in four years I just feel like this guy could move up the heavyweight division quick and he could probably fight like almost every weekend kind of thing. Like he's a guy that probably walks yeah. around at 230-240. Yep. Parker Porter's huge though. You know what I mean? Parker it's Porter's like a a, he's a big boy. Boxing. Yeah, moves well for a big heavy guy. So, I mean, probably the worst matchup is a grappler, but nice. uh, big boy to take down. So we'll see. The Almeida sub prop is plus 100. That's probably what I would look at in this particular fight. If you want to get some sort of value on Almeida out of that minus 700 line. Jeez, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like he's uh, got a huge frame, but with that jujitsu, eh, who knows? Yeah. The way you'll get your back quickly like that doesn't matter how big or small you are when you're that talented. Yeah, so that that's one that I'm eager to see. I want to see how this guy looks at heavyweight because I would just suggest, suggest he stay there. Like, uh, even at light heavyweight, he'll have a good grappling advantage because you don't see a lot of really good submission grapplers at light heavyweight, but at heavyweight, he'd have a real advantage. Yeah, yeah. Eric Anders fights every weekend now, apparently. Jeez, it seems like he's... Anders fought. Did he fight recently? I don't know. It seems like it. It seems he like he's one of those... Andre Muniz in December. Okay, not too bad. I, I feel like he's always he on the card. times last year, so... Oh, yeah. but still not as much as I thought. So, yeah, uh, he's, he's uh, against John, uh, Jun Yong Park, the turtle. Uh, this is an interesting one because the one thing that makes me hesitate to take Anders as a plus 172 dog is he posted a picture like three or four weeks ago of his like foot completely sliced open. It's like, yeah, you know, it's worrisome. <laughs> yeah, weird. I have a funny story about my foot being split open the other day. So I was randomly packing up some stuff on my last travel trip. I had a pair of scissors on my uh, countertop when I was in my bathroom. All of a sudden, the, the scissors fell and did it not fall straight oh, down on my foot. Like how? My <laughs> Just as I was about to go to the airport in 30 minutes, I'm having to like literally like almost suture my foot together. I had to get one of those suture clamps. I'm like, what are the chances the scissors fell straight down on the top of my foot and started bleeding everywhere? Like literally half hour before I had to get my taxi to the airport. I was like, this is brutal. See, I had Joe, to put like three Band-Aids on. Before you told the story, I was about to jump in and say, if, if if one of us was going to say, 
here's a story about my foot getting split open. It would for sure be you because, you know, and I was thinking, you know, it's going to be some something fight related to kick some something. Some kicking or some No, yeah. that's no. why it's so crazy. That's how I, have I to would bring split it my up. foot open. If I was going to split my foot open, Joe, it would be exactly what happened to you because some this kind of thing happens all the time. I get sliced by everything. I've, I've, yeah. I've, I've got scars all over my hands from getting sliced by knives. Yeah. Every, every, anything you can anything. think of that gets like boxes, whatever yeah. you can think of. You're cutting yourself. Yeah, I cut myself. What did I cut myself on the other day? I don't even remember. I got cut myself yesterday on my fingers. was was bleeding. I was like, oh, I, I, cut, I cut myself. I don't even realize it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think it was on my Seriously, dish rack. freak accident. Dish rack. Yeah. Never cut myself on a dish yeah, rack yet. I think that's what it was. I can't even remember, honestly, at this point. Yeah. No, I did two in one week. One, a plate slipped out of my hand when I was wiping it down. That happens to me too. And yeah. then it hit my countertop. Something with countertops in me lately. I went to catch the broken plate, sliced my hand. Bad. Yeah. Bad slice. And that was all in one week. The sliced hand and the scissor falling on the foot. And almost some Final Destination stuff's coming my way. So I need to not touch anything for a while. Sharp. Yeah. Well, Staying away from like sharp said, objects. You getting injured doing combat sports, practice and training all the That's time. That's fine. That makes more yeah. sense to me. But you getting I'd sliced up by that. stuff. Now this is the stuff I can relate to. Yeah. How cool would it be? Oh, I head kicked someone and my, my, my instep hit their tooth and my foot split open. That's a cool story. <laughs> yeah. Not the scissors falling perfectly straight down and almost <laughs> getting stuck in my foot. That's bo- it's crazy to me. Yeah. So that's, yes, that's be careful that with that. It. You would never think that would ever happen. So no, I, now I would watch think it would happen to me. That's, that's that's something that could certainly happen to me. <laughs> All right. For most people, <laughs> that's then. why I can finally relate to you, Joe, on an injury. Yeah. There we go. We got here. common injuries. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that pretty much sums up this this uh, week's weekend's card. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that we didn't get to this week. I know you wanted to quickly mention the Bellator and the right. scoring. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So Michael Page against uh, Logan Storley. Uh, a lot of seemingly different opinions in terms of how that fight should have been scored. So I'll just lay out a disclaimer and say, if you scored this fight for Storley, I understand. Yeah. He did, a, he did a good job. He neutralized Michael Page. And if you were to look at this fight and not look at the scoring criteria and say, who won that fight? The answer is Logan Storley. So yeah. let, let me just lay that out before people come at me and say, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. If you look at the scoring criteria of that fight, Basically, Storley did next to nothing in terms of damage for like three of those rounds. Zero. Yeah. So you have to look at the damage. That's the way that the fight scored. And then I had people responding, oh, but what about the cage control? It's in the criteria. No, no. That's the tertiary criteria. Yeah. That is only brought up if, if all other things are equal. 99.9% of the time it doesn't come up. It's effective grappling and striking is effective one, right? Effective grappling and striking. Which is and, damage and in the definition. Effective striking would be utilizing your striking to, to get into fight finishing scenarios which Storley did not do for the entire fight yeah so yeah I, yeah I think that if you have one minute on the feet and pages landing good shots and like listen they weren't the most damaging shots they were good shots but they were but it's still he's the one that's looking to finish the fight he's the one who's engaging he's the one who's landing any sort of damage you gotta yeah. give him I think rounds uh you could you could make a case for the first four rounds you could give to him. I mean, personally, I gave him, I think it was two, three, four, and I gave Storley one and five. Even yeah. going back, like the first round, I, I would be very comfortable giving Paige that round. And then the second round, that was a really close round, I think, too, where you could have given that to Storley. But I don't know. I just think that uh, based on the scoring criteria, Paige won that fight. Yeah, I mean, I think it's that old school MMA mentality. You get the takedown, you win the round. I was like, eh. But I mean, you got to think, even on the ground, you know, 
MVPs trying to do a little bit more. I, I'm pretty sure the takedowns were happening and like with only two minutes left in the round a lot of times too, right? Because he was waiting for MVP to, to throw the big shot and then he would try to wrestle off of like the flying knees and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, there has to be a little bit more consistency with that scoring system. There has to be. Like I get it. Like I mean, there just has to be. I mean, not nothing to do with our weekly rants about the scoring system but like still like people should know that even though you get the takedown and you do nothing with it and if i'm trying to throw elbows from my back i'm trying to do something i'm scoring points well here's the thing before every fight the referee comes and talks to to the fighters and says this is what we're looking for this is you know why don't judges do that why don't they have a sense some or someone from the commission not necessarily a judge that night but someone from the commission should come out and be like here's the scoring criteria here's what you need to do if you if if this fight goes to the scorecards and you didn't do this this and this you're probably there's a chance you're not going to win this fight yeah no i think they should now now with technology and zoom like it's almost be like hey guys we're doing a zoom call with the judging and we're going to show you guys i don't know do something like, I don't know. I think it's important. I think we need – fighters need to be educated on it way more. Just show them round three of Storley versus Page. That, that's it. Show them yeah. that round. Because Perfect in definition. that round, you got Storley holding him there, holding him there, stalling, barely landing anything, landing very, very, like, lackluster elbows or knees, rather. And then you've got Page who, like, landed a big shot at the beginning of the round. That should be Page's round. Yeah. Yeah. And I also got to give credit to Michael Venom Page. He's class act. The way he – you know, a lot of people can be like, oh, I won that fight. He's like, hey, I didn't do enough personally. I mean, if I didn't sway the judges, like he just took it like a class yeah, act. And you can tell he's pure totally. class, pure martial artist. Uh, very refreshing to see. Yeah, and we had uh, Scott Coker came out afterwards and said he thought that Paige should have won the fight too. So, Yeah. yeah. It would be better for Bellator be if he won, I mean. Because <laughs> yeah. Amosov has already fought. Uh, has Amosov fought both of them? I know Amosov had definitely fought uh, Storley before. I don't know if he's fought Paige. But the, uh, I thought they did. Yeah, I think they way. did. We we talked a little bit before the show, Joe, about uh, your schedule starting to really fill up. Yeah. So while at the top of the show, I do say joining me each and every week. You know, yep. we know we know that sometimes that's not true. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've kind of discussed it, and going forward, you're going to be joining me sometimes before, sometimes after pay per views, yeah. and then otherwise it's going to be kind of a solo mission. So I'm going to have to work a little bit on the format of the show. I want to throw some different looks out there as well. You know, maybe have. Um, one of my colleagues joined me for the show every week, something yeah, different, sure. something along those lines. But I also don't mind flying solo. I think it's uh, it's challenging for me to be able to sit there and talk for 50 minutes, and I like a nice challenge. Yeah, there you go. Mixing it up, I think, is a good one. And then hopefully when I'm on, it's more refreshing for people to hear, um, and they get excited when I'm on. It's just uh, the schedule is getting crazy, and uh, I have to stick to uh, with my gym being busy. I have guys competing almost every weekend now. So the ability to watch UFCs in the detail I was during COVID isn't there anymore. And I just want to make sure I'm not coming on here as well. I want to give you guys the real information. I don't want to be just that person that just kind of watches highlights. No, to me, my passion is studying fights, looking at the technical aspects, seeing what each team can do better. Um, so I want to make sure when I do come on, I'm well prepared and I give you guys uh, the bazooka best. And that's why we love having you on, because you have an eye for the striking, well, basically all of MMA, but I think especially the striking element of MMA that a lot of people, you know, really uh, could could learn from hearing, you know, just hearing the technical side of things and why so-and-so probably landed more damage than the other person along those lines. 
And I'll do my best to relay that information, but just know that it won't be as good as what Joe brings to the table. <laughs> yeah, no, you've been doing good, Aaron. And I mean, seeing you progress even uh, as a journalist to now as the way you're scoring fights and the way you're involved and how much you've done for it. And, and you got to think you're you're leading the pack for Canadian uh, MMA. So, I mean, thank you for you. And I'm, I hope uh, everyone appreciates what you're doing for the sport. Yeah, and just so everybody knows, this isn't goodbye. It's not goodbye for now. No, 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 not at all. Yeah, you'll <laughs> see me a couple of weeks and I'm going to be well prepared. I'm going to be a little bit more more you know excited because i haven't uh, talked to aaron and you guys for a little bit so it's uh yeah just it's not goodbye but i'll see you not as frequently and the other good news is for if you're a fan of kickboxing joe's got a lot more assignments so uh, that yeah there's gonna be more kickboxing to watch which to me is great news yeah, exactly. I mean, that's one of the main reasons Glory's opening up. We partnered up with uh, Infusion and Rise. So every time Rise and Infusion does a card, I need to now go and, and call those fights. So it's almost putting me out every weekend, every other weekend. So UFC gets a little bit of a back burner. And uh, just like my career, I gave it all to Glory. I should have gone to the UFC at some points. But uh, yeah, no, I'm excited. I just love combat sports. I love talking to you guys. And uh, we'll see you guys soon. All right. Well, we always love when there's an infusion of Joe Valtellini on this show. And uh, there will continue to be. But that's just not as frequently. That's all. And a little less booms. You got you to gotta use my boom once in a while now on the, on the weeks I'm not here. Is it trademark? I can use it? Yeah, I'll let you use it. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, you can use it. Boom. So well, every time you hear a boom, you guys got to think about me. Well, that's it. I'll give you the honors uh, this week, Joe. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Boom. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.